with the carbon fiber feed, um, there was suddenly a new area in prosthetic feet where people actually would have a different compromise between that triangle, between stability, flexibility, and an energy return. Welcome to Let's Talk OMP. Let's Talk OMP is a box podcast for CBOs, technicians, and everyone who works in the OMP industry. We are providing the newest trends, best practice, and educational topics straight to your headphones. My name is Nicholas, and I will be your host for this podcast. And I'm an account manager for Audubon, and we've been working with OMP for 10 years. In this episode of Let's Talk OMP, we will focus on prosthetic feet. Your host for this episode is Jürgen Borfors, working for Audubon in the Nordics. Our guest for today is Dries Glorieux. Hello, Dries. Hello, Joachim. Hello, everybody. So, Dries, tell us a little bit about your background and history within the OMP industry. Perfect. So, yeah, so like, like I said, my name is Dries Glorieux. I'm coming from Belgium and I have a history of 15 years in the OMP industry. And um, I'm uh, 38 years old. And uh, the last 14 years, I worked actually for Ottobock. And um, I think beginning started this year and changed position. And I went back to patient care and I work now um, for Vigo. Um, it's a patient care organization in Belgium where I manage an, um, a group of CPOs um, that are um, focused on doing prosthetic fittings. And on a daily basis, what do you do? Well, <clears throat> currently my my job is a bit split in different tasks. So like I said, I'm managing um, a group of people and that's um, part of my job, of course, and building a strategy and also um, visiting different rehab um, centers and hospitals. And um, I'm also supporting in uh, um, fittings and in trials and um, I support uh, my team in a strategic way as a manager, but also as a CPO. How has Corona or COVID-19 affected your business? Well, that was a very challenging time, of course. Um, like for everybody, I think it was quite unexpected. Like I said, I changed position or company in the beginning of the year. So after one month, we had already the Corona challenge. And uh, I think like almost everyone in the world, um, we closed down uh, almost completely. Only did some um, urgent basic care for some people with some people. But luckily for us, um, we are already back to business um, for almost two months, I think now. Um, and currently the business is, of course, with a completely different rules and hygienic and protection, but you're currently working with everybody and the most sites are back open. So um, let's hope the second wave um, will not be a wave, but uh, we'll see what the future brings. Have this had an impact on how you conduct fittings? Oh yeah, <clears throat> completely. So um, during the Corona, of course, we didn't do anything really. And now, um, we see less patients a day and we take more time for our patients um, also because we have to um, uh, hygienic prepare the whole room after fitting again. Um, we all wear masks, uh, gloves, um, um, washing and disinfecting your hands, um, the prosthesis, um, the material, um, it takes more time. Um, but to be honest, that's actually a positive thing because now we have even more time to carry the patient to find the best solution. So. Um, um, it did affect um, 
But I don't think that's a bad change, actually. Um, I think um, it's a good thing that we are more aware now of the hygienic rules that we all have to follow in the orthopedic industry. With your knowledge and experience uh, working many years, what's your relation with prosthetic feet? So, um, like I said in the introduction, um, I was part of um, Autobock for a long time. And uh, 10 years of that life, I worked actually um, in the R&D department and for product management. And there I supported the development uh, and the design of uh, several new feet. Um, so, therefore, I was deeply involved in um, trying to copy that um, incredible, interesting human foot that we have as good as possible in a mechanical way. When you see a patient for the first time, what is the main thing you look at when it comes to conducting a prosthetic fitting? Well, the main thing is, is left or right foot. That's already a very important uh, start. Um, but of course, there are several aspects um, that you have to take into account. And um, especially like in a country like Belgium, reimbursement is also important. So because the re some people are just not capable to pay themselves, um, Belgium is allowed to private pay for prosthesis, but a lot of patients are not capable to do that. So that's, of course, something that you have to take into account. And there are other things like um, activity level, body weight, um, build-in height, um, expectations of a patient, um, special ADL activities, those things you have to have in mind. Um, and uh, finding the optimal match with a prosthetic foot for the end user is a very difficult exercise. Um, often you see that in CPO, he has a certain mindset. He's used to use like two, three different kinds of feet, and they always reuse those feet for the, for the patients. Um, and that's something that I like to challenge. Um, I don't know how much feet that are out there in the world. I would guess three to four, maybe 500 different designs of feet, and every foot design feels different for an end user. And there it is very difficult um, to know what kind of foot is perfectly matching with the end user. If we break it down, what makes a good fitting in your eyes? Depends a little bit um, who you're asking, I think. Um, and in general, and I know it sounds a bit strange, but the CPO thinks it's a good fitting if the patient is not complaining anymore, if he's happy. Um, but I strongly believe that um, if you ask an end user, he wants to find the optimal, optimal match for him. So and he wants to have a device where he's able to be supported as good as possible in his daily life. And I think it has to be the goal to reduce compensation for the end user. Um, because if you have an amputation um, and you receive a prosthesis, um, yes, somehow, in some cases, you will compensate in a specific um, activity, like walking downstairs, that you can't completely dorsiflex your foot, for example, or in wearing different shoes. Sometimes it's a compromise. Um, so also, if you want to do sports, and then you want to have a very high flexible energy return foot, but if you want to stand, it must be very stable. So there is always like a compromise that you have to find. And I think finding that optimal match between the person and his device and making sure that his compromise is as low as possible, I think this defines a good prosthesis. Do you have any certain steps where you, which you follow every time you conduct a fitting? 
Well, it all it all starts with a good socket. I think uh, this is something that nobody will challenge. And of course, this is a very important thing. Um, but it's not a topic of this uh, podcast. But uh, finding the optimal socket solution is for sure important. But also there, and I think this is for some people new, the right food choice can make also a difference. Uh, because the foot is often the basic um, of the prosthesis where the patient stands on. Um, and it will guide the force in the socket in a certain uh, manner that can, help, can also have an influence on the socket comfort. And I think there, yeah, you have to imagine a little bit of triangle. Um, it's something that I always have in my mind. So you have an individual patient with individual needs. And uh, some people, they have a need for stability, and they want to have high energy return. They want to have certain flexibility. So imagine like the triangle and you have this triangle where you have stability, energy return, and flexibility. And of course, as a human being, without a prosthesis, you can actually completely choose yourself what you want. You can stand up, be completely stable on your foot. But you can also say to your foot, now, now flex. And then some, almost something very stable, something very flexible, it's appearing and you can actually flex your foot and bend. But then you can even ask your foot to jump. So you can decide in that triangle um, what kind of function is the best function. And this is the this is the great thing of the human foot. It's an incredible thing that you don't think about. The problem is everybody is um, more active in a certain region. Some elderly people, they from nature, they will go to less energy return and they will come, they will adapt their manner of movement to a more stable way of moving. But the kid, for example, is only doing um, high flexible energy return activities. They don't think about stability. Although if they jump and they land, they want to be stable. The moment that you have an amputation, that complete triangle, well, you can't choose yourself anymore for your foot. And there you have to find a balance. I don't know if it's, it, it makes sense what I'm explaining, Joachim. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe we can go into depth on those three different aspects. So the foot functional triangle consists of? If you ask me, there are um, three important things. First of all, you have stability. Um, maybe you can think about, um, you know what, let's take a baby. So if a baby is small, it can't stand. But the first thing before he can walk, the kid learns to stand. So he learns to stabilize his ankle and his foot uh, muscles because standing is the first step to walking, to running, to jumping. And the moment that a kid is able to stand, and that takes a while because everybody knows it's a little baby. It's, it stands, it, it tries to stand without holding his hands and it falls on the floor. So you learn to be stable. And then... Um, a little bit like one, two months later, a little kid will start to walk. And that's a very challenging thing for a kid. And he, he, he falls a lot because he's not able to find the optimal balance between stability and flexibility. Because sometimes it will be too flexible and he falls. Sometimes it's too stable and he falls again. So um, there to learn the balance between stability and flexibility is one side. And the more trained the kids is the more um, things he can do, and suddenly he will start to run. But often he will fall again because there he, he has a third option that he has to choose from. No, it's not stability, it's not flexibility, but it's energy return. 
And after a while, let's take two years, a kid is able to play that game between stability, flexibility, and energy return in a very optimal way. And the more you're a grown-up, the more you're actually better at getting that balance in those three extremes. And I think there, um, this is the functional triangle of the foot. And this is something that we learn from a baby up to your kids to a grown-up. And um, in your life, you're, you're always trying to find the optimal thing. And people who are more sportive will, of course, be more like um, in that energy return flexibility area. People that are uh, less active and you're sitting a lot, they want to have more flexibility and stability. So it's not always perfect and balanced, that triangle, but everybody has a certain triangle form that is unique for himself. I see it like that. And when it comes to energy return, what kind of impact does the material used in the products play for the well, experience for the user? Yeah, and I think that's a good question. So for energy return, um, of course, what we can do as a human being, we have active muscle tissue. And with that active muscle tissue, we are actually able to produce more energy. We can actively contract our muscles and it can jump from standing still. But the moment that um, you have an amputation, the main problem is in that functional triangle, you lose your controllability. You can't choose anymore in prosthetic foot. Um, this is something that is impossible today that the foot can choose between stability, flexibility, energy return. And then we have to find an optimal balance. And there are different things that has an influence there. And like you say, Joachim, the first thing is the material. So you can create a very stable material, let's say wood. You could create a prosthetic foot completely made of wood. And that will be a very stable thing to stand on. And in the past, if you see the old designs from the 50s, the 40s, even from the medieval times, you see that also. Um, the peg leg, um, the pirate leg was made from wood. It's a very stable thing to stand on. The flexibility wasn't inside the material. The flexibility came from the peg leg uh, goes to a very sharp point. So there, it's not the material that gave flexibility, but the design. And after a while, we recognized that it was not optimal to stand or to walk on grass, for example. So they made like a wooden foot. But a wooden foot can't move. It's a very stable thing. So they added the joint in there. And that joint gave the flexibility. But then we still had like lacking of energy return. And the old feet design, and I know you are still used with like sach feet or dynamic feet, they have still that wooden core that creates stability, and they have a foam around it that creates flexibility. And the more stuff you put into the foam, like I would say a glass fiber or something else, a plastic piece, it will create energy return. And the big, um, yeah, a change in the fit industry came actually with um, the Flexfoot company, where the, the owner of Flexfoot had the idea to use new materials, materials that had a different compromise. And then carbon fiber um, um, fibers came into the feet design. And there you could see that we had a new material that actually was able to give almost all energy back that it was put into. Of course, you lose always a little bit of energy, but with the carbon fiber feet, um, there was suddenly a new area in prosthetic feet where people actually 
could have a different compromise between that triangle, between stability, flexibility, and an energy return. And currently today, I think most fee design for more active people, and even if you go from hey, more active, I mean K4 or K3, sometimes even K2, they, they will reuse that carbon fiber because this is currently, not currently maybe, but this is one of the materials with an optimal energy return. And um, this is also what we are aiming for, I think, to make sure that the patient um, is getting as much energy back than he's putting into his device. Otherwise, every, every energy that we lose, yeah, you have to compensate more as an end user. And when we talk about flexibility, we see an increase in options that targets side flexibility. Where do yeah. you see the compromise there in the foot functional triangle? Yeah, so um, uh, I will answer with two answers. So the side versus flexibility is for sure um, an important thing because often if you see our foot or our feet design, um, you see actually a flexibility in IP in AP direction, so in forward and backward direction. Um, but our ankle joint is a very complex joint and um, it can actually adjust to the surface. And the whole idea of our ankle joint is actually to guide the ground reaction force in a good way. And that's important because the ground reaction force is actually pushing all the other joints that are above the foot. So your knee, your hips, your back, um, they, they, they are pushed by the ground reaction force in a certain direction. And our human foot is designed that he always tries to compensate. He will, he will level out the negative effect of the ground to make sure that the, the forces are guided and all the other joints in a very natural way. And think about your knee joint. Your knee joint is made to flex and extend, but it's not made to flex sideways because then you will destroy your knee. And our own ankle joint is, is incredible precise in doing that. You can see that if you would stand on um, a ground reaction plate, for example, and you put like a lateral um, block under your foot, you will see that you will level out the ground reaction force in a way that in your knee joints, this is nicely in the middle, but you don't have any negative forces uh, into your knee. And um, there are some designs uh, like a split forefoot, a split heel, some very thin feet, uh, some feet have like an, an, an ankle joint who allow for mediolateral flexibility and they have the same idea, the, the same goal in mind. If you're walking, they will try to give the patient um, um, the possibility to push the ground reaction force in a way in your body that your body is not, uh, is, uh, that there is no need for your body to compensate. And um, this will have probably a very positive effect on um, the long-term um, healthiness. I don't think that's the right word in English, but I think you know what I mean. So uh, it's like protecting your body from negative forces because um, we know that knee arthrosis is um, something that's very challenging for, for example, transcribable prosthesis. On the other side, I think flexibility itself, it depends highly of the materials that you use. Um, and there, of course, you have carbon fiber and with carbon fiber, you can make something so stiff that you lose flexibility, but you have a very high energy return. Think about running blades, for example. They are really made to sprint because they have to handle completely different forces. But then if you go to walking 
and you reduce the amount of carbon fiber, you can actually create more flexibility. And then, um, because carbon fiber, it depends really how you aim the carbon in what direction, and also the mechanical design of the feet, you can actually create a very flexible carbon fiber foot. And there are also feet out there that are so flexible, um, like the Taleo foot, to use an example from Ottobock. That's a very flexible carbon foot. And then the last years, you see also glass fiber coming more and more into the in playing field of, of uh, prosthetic feet. And they don't have the same energy return, I think, like carbon fiber, but they have a certain flexibility inside. And they're, like I said, it's a very difficult thing to find the optimum match for the end user because you always have to make a compromise. And when we talk about materials, a new thing that's coming up is that everyday feet are waterproof. What role do that play in the development and in the everyday life for a CPO to fit his or her patients? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting question because I think I have a waterproof foot is for an end user, something that is very important. I don't think most people will jump into the sea, but it's just the idea that you're secure and that if, if you're challenged with water, that you're not breaking down your prosthesis. And I think from a, that's almost a basic need for every MPP is giving like a relaxed feeling in the mind, knowing that if something is happening, um, you're safe. It's like my telephone, my smartphone, it is waterproof, but I will never jump into a phone um, with that. But you know, if your cell phone is falling into the water, at least it doesn't break. It's not breaking down. And that's the same with the prosthesis. Although it's a basic need for a patient, for a CPO, but also for a company designing products, it's a huge challenge. Because saying that something is waterproof in the same sentence, what the end user is not getting completely, you also say it has to be corrosion proof, it has to be um, sand resistant, because for an end user, it doesn't matter. It is rain, swim, um, swimming pool, it is a shower or the sea. So it is very important to know what kind of waterproofness are you aiming for? Because if you go for the maximum, and that's, for example, salt water resistance, it has a huge impact of everything because salt water is especially salt inside. It is so rotating for materials that you must be very um, thinkful or smart about choosing the right thing. So for example, for a foot, it means that every material that you use has to be resistant for salt water. So then you go to, for example, titanium, titanium bolts. But it means that the tube adapter that you have on top has to be also salt water resistant. And not every tube is salt water resistant. It means that the adapter that you integrate in your socket has to be salt water resistant. Because if one part isn't salt water resistant, it will break down. And we've seen incredible pictures of tubes, sockets, feet breaking down on the end user because one screw wasn't salt water resistant. So this is a huge challenge. And um, also like small things, like if you go into the water with your prosthesis, especially with the foot, your completely uh, foot shell is filled with water. So as end user, you have to think about it. You have to turn around your prosthesis. But then sometimes you find like smart solutions, like graining holes into a foot shell or graining 
um, holes in the pyramids because otherwise if you go into water and you have your tube you have water standing in your tube and that can create like a very smelly thing also so therefore the new designs from feet they have like channels that you're sure that water and sand will not stay into the tube but it will go out of the foot if you design a foot so you must be thinking about where is the sand where is the dust can the end user clean it himself um, it's very important that if you go into the salt water or in the sea, for example, that you clean your foot. But then your design must be created that it is easy to clean for an end user. Things like that are quite challenging. So, um, what kind of advice do you give to a user that gets a non-waterproof feet in regards to a waterproof feet? Well, I think if you receive a non-waterproof foot, then don't go to underwater because um, you never know what corrosion will do with your prosthesis. Um, and I think it's like I said, it's almost a basic need for a lot of amputees. So if you're asking for water-resistant foot, then make sure that your prosthesis is using um, water-resistant components. That's that's one thing. And also, if you have a waterproof uh, foot, and I know it's um, not officially allowed, I think, but most people do it is taking off the foot shell and cleaning the foot afterwards. But make sure you have, for example, two spectra stocks. So a spectra stock is a, a stock that's um, around the carbon fiber to protect the foot shell, um, to make sure there are no noises in the foot. But if you go into the water, often with the spectra stock, your spectra stock is wet and that creates um, difficulties that creates again um, yeah, it's, it can be stuffed with bacteria, for example, sand, dust. So I would always advise that you go into the water without spectra sock. And if you go with your spectra sock into the water, make sure you have a spare one, a second one, that you actually can switch them. Because then you're sure your prosthesis will be uh, without any noise. And don't think only about the foot. Think about the complete prosthesis. A foam cosmesis is not waterproof, for example. Um, think about what line of what liner you have, what valve. If you have a shuttle lock, think about also the shuttle lock. So think about the complete solution if you really want to go for water procedures. And if you want to go swimming, think about the swimming solution. Um, that's also a possibility. Sometimes you have like quick change adapters where you easily can um, change your component. And sometimes it's needed to change it, your ADL foot to a swimming foot. That's a possibility. So those things are for sure possible. But there it's very important that you have an open discussion with your prosthetist to, to speak about what you want, what you are asking for, and what your needs are. You have already touched the subject, but when we talk about prosthetic feet, we talk about carbon feet, we need to talk about foot shell as well. How do you see the development of foot shell in the last years? I think like 15 years ago, a foot shell was just a way to make sure that um, your carbon fiber foot was fitting into your shoe, I think. That was the main functionality. But the last years, you see a clear shift. I speak about the last three to five years, where foot shells are more and more a functional element of the foot. Um, for some feet, um, the whole feeling of walking is defined by the foot shell. The, the foot shell can guide you in a certain way of walking. The foot shell is not only to make sure that your um, shoe is filled, but the foot shell can also be a functional part, like protecting the foot for salt water or 
um, making sure that the food looks very nice. Some food shells are very natural from design. Sometimes a food shell can even be designed in your own aesthetic way in silicon, for example. Um, they are individually made, but they look very nice. At the other side, you see also now food shells appearing that, have, that are completely not a human foot anymore, that are white transparent, that look very spacey. Um, it is a functional element protecting the uh, sensitive uh, electronics inside of a foot sometimes. Um, and there you see a huge change um, of what a foot shell is doing. Some foot shells are adapted. If you design a foot shell, for example, today, you have to think about also um, flip-flops. Um, your foot shell must be able to hold the flip-flop. And there you have to make some adjustments. So there you see a very, uh, you see a defined change over the years. And I predict in the future that the foot shell will be a very functional element. Um, like I said, there, there is a foot, for example, where um, the carbon fiber piece is only one part of the foot shell. But the whole foot works only if you place the carbon fiber piece into the foot shell because the toes are a functional element. And this completely changed the way how we look to feet, I think, um, to see um, the foot shell not only as a cosmetic thing, but also as a functional element. And even sometimes for a CPO in the foot shell, as a patient, you don't see that. But in the foot shell, sometimes uh, we... Uh, we have like alignment guides that you actually are sure that if you look into the foot shell, okay, this foot design has to be positioned in that way underneath the sockets. So also there we see that the foot shell can guide the CPO to have an optimal alignment. And that are very interesting things, I think. What do you see as the main property or feature of a good working foot shell? I think also there it's... it's um, I go back to the same triangle. I'm sorry for that. But also there, the foot shell. Sometimes people want to have a very stable foot shell. For example, if you need to tie your shoe very tight, then if you have a flexible foot shell, it's impossible. But on the other side, sometimes you must have a foot shell that's really flexible because some feet, for example, female uh, shoes, I mean, they are very thin. And then a flexible foot shell will adjust better to the to the shoes. So there also sometimes, um, depending on what kind of shoes or what kind of activities that you want to do, um, I think a foot shell has, an, has a huge effect. Also, um, barefoot walking is in a lot of countries very important. And there, choosing the right foot shell is from a huge importance because some foot shells are very slippery or uh, they make noise if you walk barefoot. And for some people, that's again very important that they can walk barefoot without making any noise and they are feel stable. So it's not only about the functional inside. Um, the foot shell is the functional outside of the foot. In the, the knee segment, we have gone from wooden knee joints to nowadays more and more see mechatronic knee joints. Do you see the similar development in the feet segment? Yeah, we see a trend. Um, and um, strangely enough, um, the foot is much more complex than the knee joints. I know the, the biggest inventions in our orthopedic field were, I think, in the last 20 years in creating different knees. Um, you have a huge spectrum of different electronic knees 
all trying to uh, find the perfect balance between flexion and extension in different situations. But if you go to a foot, that's much more challenging. Like we said, a foot is a multi-axial joint. So the whole foot, so it's a lot of different bones, a lot of different joints working together. And the end result is something that is multi-axial and always stable. And to copy that, that's crucial to do, but very difficult. Um, also because you're limited in a build height. So you have the foot shell space to try to find a mechanical construction that does all those things, and that's impossible. So what you've seen in the last years is you've seen different new feet coming to the market, electronic feet, trying to control, for example, the AP direction in a different way to make sure that you can wear different heel heights and that you recognize downhill and you have a completely different way of walking downhill or uphill or downstairs or a difference between standing and moving that you try to, if you stand still, you have a locked foot. It feels like a wooden block. But the moment that you start walking, you recognize the motion and you're as flexible as needed. Um, and also there, those feet, they try to find the balance between stability, flexibility and energy return. And also there, we are not there yet. We didn't find a compromise. And um, the big challenge is also the weight. We know that people want to have a foot that is as light as possible, but as functional as possible. And there we have a very difficult balance to find because if you add functionality in a foot, you also add weight. And there is a certain threshold that is unknown that is actually in balance between the extra weight that a patient can handle and um, what the extra functionality as a benefit has. And there, I think, um, also there, if you take, for example, the meridium foot, um, it's a little bit more than one kilogram. For some people, it's still fine because they have added functionality. But some people say it's just too heavy for me. I like the functionality, but I can't handle it. Um, the, the weight in their life. And there, again, I think for those feet, a test drive and trying it home uh, for a few days is crucially important because then you know if you did find the perfect match for the end user. So, um, but there I see and I expect a huge trend in the future with smaller electronics, with um, smaller motors, with smarter devices. Um, I'm quite confident that we will find um, better balances between stability, flexibility, and energy return. Yeah, but I think with the future of feet, um, I think carbon fiber wasn't the last material that we will actually see in feet or glass fiber. There are more materials coming to the markets that have um, yeah, um, a more optimal balance between energy, and energy return and flexibility. Um, I think there is a huge trend, not yet in our uh, industry, about smart materials, materials that are flexible uh, when, you, when you need flexibility, but that can stiffen up if you need energy return. And imagine that you would actually integrate such a material into a foot. And then if you can make a connection with the human brain, just like you have like um, with the myoprosthesis and the brain can say, but now I want to have a stiff ankle or I can never have a flexible ankle. Then I think a complete new area will open for the end user. This together with um, smarter control algorithms, better balance, maybe even with active prosthesis, because we know that an active push-off is something that our foot is doing, especially if you want to accelerate. 
then we can actually make an active push off. You can also see that, for example, in the Paralympic Games, if you see somebody with a running blade competing against somebody with no blades, then you can see, for example, in the starting situation, um, somebody with no blades, they have a clear advantage because they can actually propulse themselves. And the running blade has to be loaded with energy. So imagine that you can actually propulse yourself on a blade also. Those things, um, there are, I don't think for next year, I would say, but within now and 20 years, those things will come to market. Motor control, engine control, active push-off, smart materials, um, brain robotic interfaces, those things I think are very beneficial. And the first prototypes do exist already in some labs. And I think they are very challenging and very interesting for the amputee because we have to get closer to that normal human triangle where we can choose ourselves what kind of function you want to have for our foot and you don't have to find a compromise. There is definitely interesting period ahead in the whole OMP industry and especially with prosthetic feet. A big thanks to Joachim and Dries for that insightful podcast. If you want to know more about OMP, visit our site in your country. Click on Academy. These sites are being updated, so please be patient. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you haven't done it, please give us a rating on iTunes. Talk to you soon.